Hello, and welcome to the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we're opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey today. Well, this month, we are taking a look at Matthew chapter 24. It's kind of a difficult chapter. And it's a chapter that is used as a springboard for all kinds of ideas. Not all of them are true to the Bible, but we want to just kind of do a textual walk through this. And so in our first study, we kind of took a step back and saw where Matthew 24 fits within the big picture, the big context of what's going on in the Gospel of Matthew. And we focused on what made Jerusalem and the temple so important. Why Why there? Why is that so much uh, significance to those people? And so today what we're going to do, and we really encourage our listeners to get your Bible out because we're going to just be walking through first part of Matthew 24 and look at some of these verses together. And we want to just kind of see a question that was asked to Jesus and we want to see how he answered that question. And we hope this will be valuable for you. And this will be just segment two. We have a, we'll have two more segments after this as we kind of keep walking through this chapter. But there's several things here that are of importance for us to see and kind of appreciate with what God has said about this. So in Matthew 24, Jesus has been teaching in the temple. Uh, this goes all the way back to chapter 21 and He's been in and out of the temple teaching. And so the 24th chapter begins with Jesus coming out of the temple. And the disciples in verse 2 look at the temple and they just kind of brag about how magnificent it is, how big it is, how wonderful it is. And it's at this point that Jesus says in verse 2 that there will not be one stone left upon another which will not be torn down. And that is just a shocking revelation to them. First of all, who could even knock this big thing down? And then why would God allow that? And this is our center of worship, and what does all that mean? And that takes us to verse 3, where questions come up. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is just outside Jerusalem, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, right there, we need to pause because right there is presented a question for us. Are the disciples asking one question? Are they asking two questions or are they asking three questions? And how you look at that really helps you understand what Matthew 24 is all about. And so, Jason, let me kick it to you and let you say a little bit. And I'm going to kind of dig a little bit here. Sure. I know you're you're going to take us to the Gospel of Luke for a little bit of help. I What helps me is to try my absolute best, and I know I'm – bound to do this imperfectly and, and limitedly with uh, the, the perspective that I have. But I think absolutely key to an exercise like this is to try and put yourself in the sandals of these first century listeners. Um, for them to be in Jerusalem, looking across the Kidron Valley at the great city, like you said, and like we talked about last Friday, this is not only a religious center, it is a cultural center, it is an economic center. This is everything for the the first century Jewish people 
especially the temple. I mean, this was to be the place where God was seen to dwell among his people. And so for Jesus, with all of the the amazing stuff that he has done, all of the hope that has built up in the hearts of these first disciples, for him to say, listen, that spectacular building is going to be absolutely destroyed to the point that not one stone is left on another. For them, this is world-ending sort of stuff. What do you mean? In in what way is this going to happen? Is, is this going to be another judgment of God? Because these people knew from their Old Testament scriptures that days of the Lord had come against the Babylonian Empire, the Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, Days of the Lord had come against the children of Israel and even the the city of Jerusalem itself when it had been corrupt and obstinate and rebellious against God. These men and women were looking forward to the reign of their newfound king. And now he's talking about the destruction of the city of David. That This is mind-blowing for them. And so... I am inclined to think of this as, well, it is all wrapped up into one big question, but it is a question that describes things that, that would be like the end of the world for these people. Absolutely. And, and, and just, just to throw another passage on this, just to kind of help us with this, you know, uh, it, it is easy for us with the whole Bible to look backwards. Right. And they're at the front end looking the other direction. And so we, we have the whole story before us. They did not have the whole story. So, so j- just a couple examples over in Luke chapter 18 and starting in verse 31, he then took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and all these things which are written through the prophets about the son of man will be accomplished for he'll be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise up again. But the disciples understood none of these things. Right. Now, he's just talking about his death. He hadn't talked about the coming again. So they didn't get his death. Uh, we remember in John 14 that Jesus says, uh, I'm going away. And Thomas would say, where are you going? Um, they, <laughs> so, so, you know, it's easy for us to understand Jesus died. He was, he was ascended and he's coming back. They didn't get the front end of that yet. And so, to, to look at some of these questions that they ask, we have to look at it from their perspective right. because without doing that, that kind of brings some problems. So let me read you the same passage in Mark's account and Luke's account. Okay, Mark 13, verse 4, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of all these things are going to be fulfilled. Now that sounds like one question. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, when are these when is these stones going to come down and what's going to be the sign of that? Luke says it this way, Luke 21 verse 7, and they questioned him saying, "Teacher, when therefore will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place?" Again, that sounds like one central question. Their question is about the the not not the coming back of Jesus. The question is, when's the temple falling down? 
and and what are going to be a sign of that. And so that that I think helps us to understand these things. So starting in verse four, Jesus immediately tells them because. Part of the question is, what's going to be the sign when this temple falls down? Uh, he says, see to it that no one misleads you. And then he goes into a series of things that's going to take place, but this is not the signs. He will say, for instance, in verse 5, that there's going to be false Christs. He'll say in verse 6 that there are going to be rumors of war. In fact, he says in verse 6, you'll be hearing the wars and rumors of war. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Now, what's it? Now, when you and I read that, we think about the end of the world. Right. Okay. Once again, for these people, I think what they're thinking of is the end of the temple. If the temple's torn down, that's the end. I mean, what, how am I going to offer my sacrifices? How's the priest going to go in the Holy of Holies if there is no temple? And how is the long-awaited heir of David actually going to win if he doesn't have a throne to sit on? Absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah. And and I think running through their mind is there's not going to be a storm or an earthquake that's going to do this. It sounds like from, from their understanding of the Old Testament, I mean, this is what Babylon did uh, long ago. Right. And, they, and, and so is another Babylon rising up? And so, so those, those would be the thought processes running through their minds. And in verse 7, he tells them in verse 8, there's going to be famines and earthquakes, but this is not it. That's not the signs of this thing's coming down. Verse 9 says there's persecution going to be. Verse 10 and 11 says there's going to be apostasy. He then tells us in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. All right. Same end, I believe he says in verse 6. Yeah, yeah. So if I could kind of summarize here, Jesus is communicating even before his death that after his death, there are going to be a lot of hard things that come, right? In Jerusalem, in the larger region of Judea and beyond, life under the sun is going to be hard. There are going to be natural disasters. There are going to be civil and social conflicts. You need to beware, Jesus is saying, of sign hunting. You need to be careful that you don't get so excited about all of the things going around you that you get carried away by saying, well, the end is here because look at that earthquake. The end is here because we've heard about this war over here. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to give you a sign, but it's not going to be the first things that you might initially assume. Yeah. And, and, and that running through that list from verses six through fourteen, or particularly thirteen, is just bad news. Yeah, I mean, you got wars, you got earthquakes, you got famines, you got persecution, you got people falling away, you got false prophecy rising up. So it's just a lot of uh, unrest and uneasiness. Uh, but when you get to fourteen. The gospel of the kingdom of preached into all the whole world. That's going to take some time to do that. Uh, the gospel had not fully been even delivered yet at this time. So then we go to verse 15, mm. a, a pivotal verse. <laughs> it says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
Then he goes on to talk about some things that take place. Right. So that takes you back to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. The, so what, what is meant, Jason, by the abomination? I mean, in, in the New American Standard, which I have, that phrase is in all capital letters, yeah. abomination of desolation. Yeah, that you talk about a, a daunting description. I mean, desolation is utter destruction. Right, Des- to be left desolate. Well, that's a temple with not one stone left on another, as a good example. Abomination is something that is despicable, something that is disgusting. Right, so you're you're being told about some terribly despicable, abhorrent total destruction. And not only do we know that phrase, abomination of desolation, shows up in Daniel 9 and Daniel 11 and Daniel 12, but Jesus specifically takes away all mystery, right? He he references the prophet Daniel, which ought to, number one, give us assurance that what we read in our Old Testament book of Daniel is worth reading because the Son of God validated it and pointed us to it. But number two, it we've got to do some digging, right? And clearly, we do not have the time to dissect all of Daniel chapter 9. If I could just highlight a couple of things, in Daniel 9 verse 26, we read about an anointed one that is cut off. And then we read about a prince who is to come that will destroy the city and its sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, the question obviously was, what in the world is going on there? What What's being foretold? In Daniel 11 and verse 31, we read about someone coming, profaning the temple and fortress, taking away the regular burnt offering. They shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Finally, Daniel 12, verse 11 We read about the regular burnt offering taken away. So that temple service, that that temple order of sacrifice was going to be disrupted, and the abomination that makes desolate will be set up. It's interesting. I mean, as a Bible student, if you want to dig into history, it's interesting how many of the Jews thought this was being fulfilled back in 167 B.C. with Antiochus Epiphanes, a a foreign king who came in. This is that era where you read about the Jewish Maccabees. You've heard maybe that, that family line before. There was this foreign king who came in, he set up a a Grecian altar to the god Zeus right there in the temple. He he commanded that 
pigs be brought in and sacrificed there in the temple. He profaned the Jewish Sabbath day. He abolished circumcision. There were lots of people more than 160 years before Jesus was born that said, well, there it is. There's the abomination of desolation. And in many ways, that was an abomination, right, that we read about in Jewish history. But Jesus, interestingly and importantly, here in Matthew 24 says, that wasn't it. In fact, it is still to come. And Roger, I think we both are seeing signs here that this is describing Rome eventually, in fact, less than 40 years into the future here, that they would come in. We know in AD 70, they absolutely destroy this city that Jesus and his disciples are sitting in at the moment. Yes, and and Luke says it this way in Luke chapter 21, verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation mm-hmm. is near. Yeah. So, so what the Lord is saying in Matthew's account is there's earthquakes. That's not it. There's false teachers. That's not it. People are falling away. Nope. That's not it. Rumors of war. Nope. That's not it. But when you see this abomination of desert, when you see the city surrounded, you know, this is it. Yeah. And so, so back, back to their question. When are these stones going to fall? Well, this is when it's going to happen, when the Romans would come and surround the city. Now, Luke would say in a, in a couple of chapters before, Luke chapter 19, he would say in verse 41, when Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which made for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And you will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Once again, that's the same language we're reading back here in the book of Matthew. When will we, when will one stone not be upon the other? Well, it's when the Roman armies would come upon them. Yeah. And if we listen carefully to Jesus in this last week of his life, he talks a lot about this. Even on the way to the cross, we read in, for instance, Luke 23 about some women following after him, mourning and lamenting for him. And he turns to them on the way to the cross and calls them, interestingly, daughters of Jerusalem. Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus is being led by Roman soldiers to his death. He talks to the daughters of Jerusalem and foretells really difficult days to come. Why? Roger, you just read it. Because the Lord had visited his people and they had refused to welcome him. So let's, let's carry on back here in Matthew 24. Let's just carry on. We, we read verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, 
understanding in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then it says in verse 16, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to uh, get the things that are in his house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back and get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in a winter or a Sabbath. Oh, now, Jason, let's just stop there for a minute. Why all those warnings? Yeah. I mean, I mean what, so, so I'm up on my house. I'm putting shingles on my house. And I must not go down inside my house and get there. Why? Well, number one, clearly we're not talking about the end of the world, right? Because if the world is ending, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't right? matter. What he is describing is if you see the Roman Empire encircling the city, it is time to get out. This city is doomed, right? God had sent prophet after prophet. They had refused to listen. Read Matthew 25. Jesus talks all about that in parables, right? Finally, God had sent his son, and they were about to crucify him. Jesus knows what is about to happen. He is telling his disciples, when you see the Roman armies surrounding this city It is time to run, and it is time to run now. It is not time to go take care of business inside the city. Don't go visit the marketplace. Don't worry about, you know, collecting your physical belongings. Don't try and go down to the bank and get money out. It is time to run because this city is about to be destroyed. And that's why it says, verse 19, woe to those who are pregnant or nursing because it's hard to run that way. Um, and, and then pray that your flight's not in the winter uh, or the Sabbath because you're limited in how you can run. Yeah. And, and according to history, what we know is that the city was surrounded for five months. And what we understand from what Josephus, the, the historian, wrote, over a million Jews were killed and over 97,000 were captured by the Romans. But Jesus here in Matthew 24 is speaking to his disciples and so he's telling his disciples, my followers, you're going to know. And when you see this, you're going to run and you're going to be safe. And that's what he's trying to tell them. And we do read, you mentioned Josephus, Eusebius, others talk about Christians fleeing to the mountains during the Jewish revolt in 67 AD. We know the city does not ultimately fall until 70 AD, right? But Christians are among the earliest ones to get out of the city. I would suggest because of what Jesus said 40 years before right here in Matthew chapter 24. So let's kind of finish up this little section here and then we'll, we'll leave you some more for next time. But, but having said that, he says in verse 21, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. That, that again is that destruction he's talking about. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Now that's just an interesting thing. Because what happens is the the conquest started in the year 66. And in the year 67, the emperor of Rome was assassinated. Vespian was this general who was attacking Jerusalem. But he was now made emperor. So he had to go back to Rome and become the emperor, and there was a pause there. 
And later on, he sent his son Titus in here to finish the job, and that didn't happen until about the year 69 or 70. So there was, a, there was a short pause in there. Jesus is knowing this. He tells him this. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been spared. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or he's there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead even possibly the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they told you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he's in the inner room, do not believe him. Just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Mm. Now, a couple expressions again. Sometimes when we see the coming of the Son of Man, the first thought that comes to our mind is the second coming. That, again, is because we have the whole Bible and we're looking backwards. That phrase is used several times, the coming of the Lord in the Old Testament, and that meant the coming of destruction. That is a common expression. These people would have understood that this is describing not the second coming, but it's describing the destruction of Jerusalem that's going to take place. Yeah, and I, I think that last verse you read, Roger, is, is key. Jerusalem is like a corpse. Right. What happens even in our part of the world when you've got a, a dead animal on the side of the, the highway and there aren't very many cars for a little while? What do you see flying in the air? You, you, you see scavenging birds, right? Flying around and, and trying to pick at that corpse. It's a disgusting picture, but that is the message that Jesus has been sharing ever since Matthew 21 all the way way through Matthew 25, again, putting ourselves in the sandals of these people. What do you mean we're going to leave the temple behind? What do you mean we're going to leave Jerusalem behind? Well, the son of man, the Lord's anointed one is communicating. Listen, this is not what it ought to be, but that does not mean that God's good purposes are going to be overthrown. Trust me. I know what's going to happen. You need to stick with me, stay on my side. And if you do, even though the physical temple is destroyed, God is going to win. I think that's the big message here. Absolutely. And so we're going to stop that for now. Next week, we're going to pick up right where we left off here in Matthew 24, kind of go onward. We hope you'll just get your pen and pencil out and kind of go back through what we've just talked about and give us some thought. And if you have any questions, reach out to us. We'll do the best we can to kind of answer those things. Roger, appreciate you joining me today. We appreciate all of you wading into a little bit of deeper waters with us, listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope our discussion has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember... The message that we've been reflecting on even today, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound and the best is yet to come.